All right, you guys, I am currently struggling with a pinched nerve in my neck. And if you have ever had one, you know the pain. So I am feeling super thankful for today's sponsor, Tanasi. Tanasi's CBD, CBDA is two times better than CBD alone and better than over-the-counter ibuprofen, acetaminophen, and aspirin. It helps soothe and relieve my aches and pains like my pinched nerve, and it's great for sleep and anxiety, so I put it on right before bed. Tanasi was discovered by a team of chemists and biologists at Middle Tennessee State University, and 5% of all revenue is given back to the university partner for ongoing research. It is THC-free and comes in a range of products. I love the topicals, but you can also choose from soft gels, gummies, and tinctures. Satisfaction is guaranteed. Try Tanasi for 30 days, and if you don't love it, you get a full refund. Go to Tanasi.com and use code MOM to get 25% off at checkout. That's T-A-N-A-S-I.com to get 25% off your first order with promo code MOM. Since learning the truth about alcohol over four years ago, I've become pretty skeptical about anything that seems too good to be true. You know, like alcohol. If you're like me and you can spot a too-good-to-be-true health hack from a mile away, congrats, you're a skeptic too. Ritual knows that every good skeptic deserves a multivitamin that exceeds our standards. I take Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus every morning because it has high-quality and traceable key ingredients in clean, bioavailable forms. It's gentle on an empty stomach and has a minty essence in every bottle that helps make taking my multis actually enjoyable. No more shady business. Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus is a multivitamin you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month at ritual.com forward slash sober mom. Start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com forward slash sober mom for 25% off. Hi, welcome to the Sober Mom Life podcast. I'm your host, Suzanne of My Kind of Sweet and the Sober Mom Life on Instagram. If you are a mama who has questioned your relationship with alcohol at times, if you're wondering if maybe it's making motherhood harder, this is for you. I will be having candid, honest, funny conversations with other moms who have also thought, hmm, maybe motherhood is better without alcohol. Is it possible? We'll chat and we'll talk about all things sobriety and how we've found freedom in sobriety I don't consider myself an alcoholic. You don't have to either. And maybe life is brighter without alcohol. I hope you will join us on this journey and I'm so excited to get started. Well, Jen Hurst, I'm so glad you're here on The Sober Mom Life. This is a treat for me because I've been following you, I think my whole like sober journey. Instagram was like my place to get inspired and to feel supported, even though, you know, you don't know the people on Instagram, but you feel like you do. Like as soon as your face popped up, I was like, I know you. And that's the beauty of Instagram. When you use it for ways to connect with other sober women, especially if you're starting out. I mean, there's so many great accounts out there. I just did a post last week where people are wondering, and I tell the women of my group, like, try to find a local community where you can find some women. And they're like, well, I don't know how. So I'm like, well, what if I just created a place for people to drop in their location, connect with each other? 
But we can use Instagram in a way that's so, so positive for our sobriety. And I, I'm with you. I started following you as well and and all the great things that you're doing for the sober community. It's it's amazing to see. Thank you. I love how I mean, we'll get, I definitely want to get into your story and how you started and everything like that. But I do love how like sober moms are kind of taking over. We're starting our, our movement. I really feel like, and even, I mean, I lived in the sober closet for four years and I didn't talk about it. I didn't share about it. That's just how I was brought up. And I went through the flow. I went to treatment three times inpatient. I went to outpatient like nine times. And, and so I was brought into this, this, culture where you don't say anything, only in the rooms. And what stays in the rooms stays in the rooms. You don't share it. So I just felt, yeah, I felt no one cared. I felt alone in my sobriety. I was kind of living a dry drunk lifestyle. So when I started coming out, it's just, it was amazing how freeing that is. And that's what I hope to instill in other women and especially the women in my course of owning this of embracing this because this is a positive change that you're making. Why not? And the more that we can encourage people to do that, the more that we can begin to normalize sobriety and start that conversation, just like we're starting the conversation of mental health. Well, sobriety is mental health in a huge, huge way. But as long as you carry yourself, and I had this woman in my group this last week who went to the Alanis Morissette concert sober. She was really nervous. But she had this big breakthrough where she said, I visualized that I'm going to have a great time. And then I owned this choice. I put my shoulders back. I smiled when someone asked why I wasn't drinking. And I, she just said, I just don't like the way it makes me feel. And through that conversation with this other person, she was able to uncover that she was also struggling with alcohol and get her some help and guide her to some books. I'm like, you have no idea who you're going to inspire just by saying, this is who I am. And if you take it or leave it, but there's nothing to be ashamed of for being addicted to an addictive drug. And once you understand that, and I tell a lot of the women in my group, when you know better, you do better. When you know exactly, like do the research, what are you actually putting into your body? And how is that making you feel? And with that, you start to come to the conclusion like, what am I doing and what aren't they letting me know about this? And I think it really relieves some of that shame and invites compassion into why things happened the way we did, they did, why we turned to it when we were stressed, you know, especially moms, the kids, the pandemic, all of that. We are just doing what we know best at the time and with the tools that we have. And what we were taught, like ev everywhere we look, we're taught that alcohol is the answer to help us relax and to de-stress when that's just not the case. Absolutely. And it, it's like any minute you're not working, you should have a drink. Happy hour. Right. Yeah. Count down to it. And it's like, shouldn't we have, if you really want to decompress and actually refuel, you, you need to do the opposite because that's just sabotaging your tomorrow self. And like I said, like it's, it's amazing how much this is taking off and how people and moms and women are taking a stand. And beginning to gather the courage to step into it, to be proud of it, and to own it and begin that conversation. Because the only way we get to break down that stigma is by starting a conversation and saying, hey, I don't drink. Why? Well, 
I don't like the way it makes me feel. Oh, you know, I've been really questioning my drinking too. And then it just sparks it from there. So I think Brene Brown says like shame can't survive the light. Like shame doesn't survive when you talk about it, right? That's like shame dies when we talk about it. And so that's what it feels like this whole like AA thing and Alcoholics Anonymous and you have to keep it in those church basements and keep it locked away and don't, you know, don't tell anybody about it. Remain anonymous. Keep it closed. It's like that just feels, and I've never been to an AA meeting, but that feels like it breeds shame. It feels like there's so much shame then that it's something to be ashamed of. And it's just not. Absolutely. And I understand the principles of why they do that to protect people. But at the same time, when I was going to AA, I had a sponsor, did did all the steps. I love the steps. I encourage people, if you're interested, you can do those. But the one thing I didn't agree with was being anonymous. And why shouldn't we talk about this? And it wasn't until I started as a beach body coach that I began to share my story. And like you said, the more I started to share, the more I started to gain confidence. And it felt like, oh my gosh, I can finally talk about it. I had five years of pent up emotions that were just like bursting to come out. And I didn't, I didn't like disclose much in the beginning. I just, uh, I did a coming out post as I like to call it. And um, it was like my freedom date basically. And that's why I encourage others to, you know, if you want, start a sober account on Instagram just to start talking about it because you need a safe place to start sharing. And that's why community is so important because you need to realize that you're not alone in this. And that can help lessen that shame that we all feel for doing this thing and thinking that we're a bad person, which we're entirely not. We're human. Yes, we're human. It happens. Your body was just doing what it was supposed to. It's in a drug. It's meant to get us addicted. And if we choose it more and more for stress, especially, it expedites that habitual behavior. So... Now I can give myself some grace and compassion of, hey, I was just really stressed at that time. I was hurt. I was in pain. I was heartbroken. And I didn't know another way to manage that emotions, which I think we is really beneficial to really focus on what is the emotion that I'm feeling. And it's okay to feel this way. I don't need to take it away. I need to actually sit with it and learn how to process and move that emotion through my body in a healthy way, which is why I, I, I'm such an advocate for movement, for walking. I love your Instagram stories and your walks. You're in the Midwest, right? Where are you? I am. So I used to live in Minneapolis and I married a country boy. So his intention was, we're going to slowly insure out of the cities. I had this intention where I was going to move to New York become an art director for a magazine. And so I did move out there, discovered it wasn't for me and came back. But he slowly and we did the big move up north to a small town called Thief River Falls, Minnesota. So a small town country life and people were nervous of how I would adjust. But I think I was the easiest transition. I'm like, oh man, everything's just a lot easier. Like it's, oh my God, it's like, it's such a great relief for my anxiety. There's space. It's quiet. It's peaceful. Now we have like chickens, cats, and just stuff I never thought my life would be. But you don't really know something until you try it. 
And I, I just love it. And so these walks are just like therapy for me. And I started doing them a year ago when I saw some other coaches doing it and they were talking about 75 hard. I'm like, ah, maybe that's something I should do. My husband travels a lot. I'm home with the kids alone a lot. And I'm like, I'm just going to start trying it. And now it's in my sober toolkit where I try to make it a point to do it every single day if I can, especially when I did 75 hard. It was every day, snow, freezing cold, sunshine, whatever. You just get out and you do it. And it was, it made me feel so good to just get outside. And I tell my clients, get outside, go on a walk, get some fresh air. And it is, it is really, really healing. There's a strong connection when you can get outside. Yes. I love that so much. So, okay, so let's talk about, I mean, I, I want to hear about your sobriety story, but in order to understand that, we have to go back. So what's what's your drinking story? <laughs> You're like, where do I start? I know, it's a fun story. You know, I always like to paint the picture. And when I do before and afters, it's all about, I didn't look like your typical alcoholic looks are deceiving. And I think it really kept me in denial for many years because I said, no, I still have my job. I still look, I can still function. I can still do this. So I post my before picture of my wedding day. And I like what I like to call a high functioning alcoholic. I'm even toying with the word alcoholic now of, you know, do I say that? I'm not really even sure what I classify under. It doesn't really matter. I just don't drink alcohol. And I came from a perfectionist family. They they never drank really. My mom, my grandfather was an alcoholic, and I never was addicted right from the start. I had my first drink at like fifteen, but it was in that time. I always thought there was something wrong with me, and coming up in that perfectionist family, like I was never good enough. I always had to achieve, and I would set these unrealistic expectations for myself to hit these high goals. And if I fell short, I would beat myself up. And, you know, a B wasn't, wasn't good. And I had to strive for that A and get these awards. And so I just started to turn to alcohol, especially it started with heartbreak. So when I was 21, my second boyfriend wanted to go on a break. And I only got to understanding this of when I really was a turning point of when I started to really abuse it for, to manage my emotions, to self-medicate. And so when he asked to go on a break, I was 21. And I'm like, oh my God, I can't go through a heartbreak again. I, my first love like devastated me. And so I was living with some guys at the time. And I went back after we had this conversation and they said, here, well, one of them had a prescription for Adderall. And he's like, if, why don't you just take this? I swear to God, you're going to feel like God. And it's going to make you feel so much better. I'm like, I don't do drugs. You know, I've tried marijuana. I don't like it. I, you know, I, I only drink at really at parties. And so I'm like, you know what? Screw it. I was so at a point where I'm like, I would do anything. How do you deny that? Yeah. Like, I want to feel like God. Yeah. I'm like, you know what? What the hell? You know, and he gave me like three, which is so much. And so that I was stayed up all night. I dyed my hair. I said, this is the best breakup ever. I'm so happy we're doing this. And then I came down off it. And I said, oh my God, this is horrible. It was from that point. It didn't escalate like right away, but it, I would say it's, it was a 10 year progression, but a couple summers after I had a really bad summer of drinking and, you know, sleeping with guys and not remembering and waking up and, and feeling so shameful and using it to feel love to feel loved from other guys. 
when I wasn't getting that and I would drink and I would have these relate these hookups, should I say? And I just felt like crap. And, you know, I got my first DWI in 2005. It started to ramp up then, but you think that would like be a wake up call. It was, but it wasn't enough for me. I'm very tenacious. I, if you give me something and I set and do anything to achieve that, and I'll, I'll do that. But I couldn't do this and I didn't know why. And I would kept testing myself and like, okay. And I, it was in this point, I moved out to New York City. Like I said, my intention was to lose weight when I was out there. And so I'm like, I can't lose weight when I'm drinking so much. And I was starting to drink to fall asleep as well, because as I'm now learning, not now learning, but starting to go off my anxiety medication now, drinking causes anxiety. <laughs> so I was starting to get anxious at night. So I started to drink to fall asleep. So instead of drinking, then I started taking sleeping pills. And so I would take sleeping pills and then I wouldn't drink and it was fantastic. And then the sleeping pills wouldn't work. And I, I bring this up because I was so obsessed with my looks, not obsessed with trying to be perfect and who I thought the world wanted me to be. So I was kind of like a chameleon. And when those pills came off and I dropped a ton of weight, I started over-exercising as well. So when I wasn't drinking, I cross-addicted into over-exercising. I was exercising for like three to four hours a day. And people were saying, you look fantastic. And I loved that. When in reality, I wasn't happy and I didn't know why. I'm like, I'm at the size that I wanted to be, but I'm not happy. And so I started, it just really ramped up from there. I had moved back home. It was really the year leading up to my wedding in 2010. We got married in 2011 where my drinking really escalated. So I'm also a workaholic and I have a, I had a full-time job. I was doing freelance full-time and I was planning my wedding all by myself because as a perfectionist, I wanted to do and have things be perfect. And I remember I would give my husband like the little a little assignment of like putting stamps on an envelope. And when I looked at them, they were crooked. And I'm like, oh my God, like I, I just have to do it myself. And I just, I just, I just exhausted myself. And so I was starting to drink every single night. And even a week leading up to my wedding, I didn't know how I was going to get all of it done. So I started taking Adderall. I found a dealer and I started taking Adderall and I was able to get everything done. I don't, and people are, ask me today, I don't even know how you did it. I'm like, well, I was taking Adderall and I was drinking at night to calm the anxiety that Adderall brings when it wears off. So yeah, that's why I say my before pictures on my wedding day, because I wish I could do it over. I was not present. I drank in the morning. I was so full of fear. I did not like the spotlight on me and I just wanted to get through it. And I'm like, just get through this day. And then it really was a year, a day and a half later, I just couldn't hide it anymore. And I was really good at hiding it. My husband did not even know what was going on. No idea. I was, I was, I only drink at night. Usually I was working. So I would, I would work and then I would drink to have fun and relax really to take the edge off. Cause I was so overwhelmed and I didn't ask for help. My pride was too high to ask for help with this. And nor did I want it because I wanted to prove to everybody that I could do this. I could have this amazing wedding and I could show up and be a beautiful bride in a size two dress, you know, and everything was fine. Everything was great. But deep down, 
I had bags under my eyes on my wedding day. I drank vodka in the morning. I took Adderall to just get through it and appear normal. And I just, I just collapsed the day or two after. And from there, I mean, my husband was like, oh, what, a, what the hell did I marry? You know, he was so confused. So it began this year and a half journey of me really seeking to try to get sober, uncovering, am I an alcoholic? Okay, what are the next steps? What do I do first? Okay, outpatient. And then he would drive me to AA meetings. I'd be still drunk. And I was so confused. I was so scared. And I kept thinking, I can't do inpatient because I'm going to get laid off. In this process, I did my first inpatient stay when I, it was just apparent that I needed to. It was a full 11 months from my wedding date to when I went into inpatient. Did that, relapsed after, right after with the intention of when I tell people, when you're seeking to get sober, make sure you really want it and that you're ready. What was that catalyst for you to do that? Were you ready or not quite yet? No. And I realized that later that I really wanted to get sober. I just wasn't ready. I had to really prove to myself that I couldn't do this and nor did I want to. So even from there, there was another six months of me going to a sober house, doing outpatient. I went back into treatment and did their extended care stay at Hazelden. And in there, I got my second DWI, February 14th of 2013. My husband had kicked me out of the house because I was drinking. He had set that boundary. So I drove in rush hour traffic with a 0.24 blood alcohol level, got pulled over. I didn't hurt anybody, thank God. And from there, I had to, you know, all of this stuff that we have to clean up, but that was, still wasn't it for me. I was like, no, I, I was scared, but I, I still had to prove to myself. I still had some field research to do and some data to collect of when is it going to be enough for me? And I had to push myself to feeling like I was going to die. My body was shutting down. I was taking Adderall and drinking every day. I was starting, my hands were going numb. And I was, I say this a lot, but I was on my parents' bed because I was staying with them because they didn't know what to do with me. They were about done with me. And I looked up cardiac arrest because I said, I think I'm going to have a heart attack soon. I mean, I was having, obviously having heart palpitations. I couldn't feel my hands. And, and I just said, I don't know what to do. And I was, I didn't know who to talk to. I couldn't be honest with anybody because I was still drinking just to not feel the withdrawals. My withdrawals were so bad. I remember um, even trying to get my license and I was shaking so bad where I had to go home and drink. So I wouldn't shake so I could read my writing. And I don't mean to like focus on the hard parts. It's an amazing story. You know what I mean? Like what you've been through. And at that point, it was probably dangerous if you just stopped drinking, right? Absolutely. And that's why medical supervision, especially with the amount you're consuming, you know, alcohol is one of the drugs you can die coming off of. So it's really, really serious. And it wasn't until April 23rd, 2013, where I guess I passed out at my dad's office. I had to go there because they needed to watch me all the time. They took me to detox and I blew like a 0.34. And it wasn't like that scared me. But the fact that I was drinking that much every single day, like how much was I drinking the year prior? And in this period, I was also switching to mouthwash and rubbing alcohol. I was trying to figure out a way where I, when we were talking about shame, I felt so shameful walking into a liquor store with a hat on to hide my bags under my eyes. If I could just walk into Target and buy mouthwash, which has alcohol in it, and drink that, then no one would know. 
And I wouldn't feel as bad about what I was doing as I was literally poisoning myself. And so I drank mouthwash for the last year, but it was in the detox where I just, I had this epiphany and I just said, you know, I had court the next day. My marriage was about to fall apart. I, I got laid off from my job because I wasn't showing up. And this girl who I had a great childhood, I got good grades and I couldn't believe this was my life, but I had no idea how to get out of it. And I lost almost everything. And I had to like scare myself to really come to that decision. It was, and I heard your other podcasts where that was it for you. It's just like this decision where I'm done and I have a lot of stuff to clean up. I have two DWIs. I have court. I have jail. I have all of this stuff. I didn't have a car. My car got impounded. I didn't have a, you know, and, but I didn't, I just knew if I don't drink, everything's going to be okay. It's not it, the only way that this is, I could put myself in a worse situation is if I drank again and I didn't want to anymore. And once I made that decision, I, I stopped fighting it and I just let go of what was going to happen. I said, whatever's going to happen is going to happen, but I don't want to do this anymore. And I'm done trying to, trying to fight it. And it's amazing what can happen in, in like a few months when I, when you're sober, I became pregnant. You know, it, it's, I mean, I went to my last inpatient stay after that. I did all the emotions. I cleaned up everything. I took responsibility. I biked to my, to my outpatient after inpatient. I did all the stuff I was supposed to got my probation officer, did all of that. And, um, I always thought I was going to be infertile because of all the stuff I did to my body. And yeah, we were pregnant. I got a job within a few months. I got promoted in six months. And I remember even at my assessment to my last inpatient where I was in the bathroom and my family had like cut me off. They were just like, I don't know, you're going to pay for whatever you need to do. I'm done with you. And I remember calling a homeless shelter. Like it felt so humbling. I mean, just to call to see if they had space. And then my parents were like, no, you can stay with us. But just making that call was like, man. But anyways, I can see that it's still like you still can put yourself back there. I mean, that's so powerful. It's crazy how much your life can change. And I know Mel Robbins says it a lot, but you are one decision away from a completely different life. And just by not drinking, all of these good things started to happen. I had to clean up a lot of my past. I had to do a day in jail, four months pregnant. Talk about humbling. But you just did it. I didn't have a breathalyzer in my car for two years with a newborn. You just do it and you make things right. But as long as I was sober, I could work on clearing this up. I could actually get back to who I was. But I didn't get back, but become stronger because of what we've been through. And holy smokes. If we can do that and come back from that, and that's why I tell people, I know where you're at. I get that feeling, but I want you to know that you can freaking do this. And I just did a post yesterday where I said, the one thing that I really wish someone would have told me when I was struggling, instead of shaming me and saying, how can you keep doing this? Why don't you just stop? I just wanted someone to tell me it was going to be okay. You're going to get it. But sometimes it's just a matter of time and going through some really hard things for you to get it and to be done. Yeah. And it's, it's different for everyone, right? That point where we say like, it's kind of that inner knowing of like, oh, I'm done. I don't want this anymore. And then I like how you said it was a decision. So it was like that inner knowing followed up by 
a deciding. Like, you have to consciously decide because it's not just going to happen. You have to know inside and then decide pretty much every day from then out to choose that, right? Yeah. And that only would have happened with, without, with the experiences that we've been through of experiencing pain, of experiencing shame and feeling like crap and losing things. It was, uh, some people just have to learn the hard way. And I hope that people don't have to get to that rock bottom, that they can question their drinking, even if they don't have a problem. And just ask, you know, what am I using this for? Is it actually helping me? Or is it keeping me stuck? Does it help me make friends? Is it helping me have fun? Or do I just not like the situation that I'm in, but I feel like I have to have a drink to enjoy it? And if that's the case, then that's not your thing. And you can do something else, but you don't need to drink. It's just not fun. Yeah. And I think the idea of losing things, you know, it's, I I think no matter what level you're on, as far as your drinking and what you've lost, we've all lost things to alcohol. You know, whether that's memories, whether that's a morning being hung over on the couch, whether it is your job, you know, your license, uh, other things like I think alcohol does steal things from all of us, no matter how much you drink. And so it is a question of like, is it worth it? And I always like to ask that and have people ask that, you know, is it worth it? Is it worth the shame and anxiety of tomorrow? And if anything, the thing that we lose is time. And what is the thing that we want more of? Time. I feel that so much just as a mom, time goes by so much quicker than it used to. I don't know if it's all the milestones that we're counting down. Like there's so many milestones with kids that we're counting, you know, the years, the months, the all these that I'm just, it freaks me out how quickly time is going. Yes, absolutely. I mean, my son is like up to here on me and I'm like, oh my God, like how did you, how did you get so tall? And, and I, I like to focus on, you know, after the kids go to bed, And that's usually a lot of times when moms are like, I'm going to have a glass of wine. You know, I'm going to unwind. I've had a hard day. But at the same time, what if we switched the nighttime to the morning time and focusing on, you know, maybe I could get up a little bit earlier in sobriety and have like, where can we find this me time that we don't get during the day? And my answer is always, Use your mornings. Your mornings. We trade our late nights for early mornings. Get up, you no know, half hour. Now I get up two hours before my kids, and I use that time. It's just quiet. Everybody's quiet, and I get that time because when you're proactive about your day, when you do the things that really fill you up, and you can visualize your day, you know, reading, doing some personal development, moving your body, meditating, all of that stuff. You're going to show up better as a mother throughout the day. So when it does get to 8 p.m., you've had a really great day when you're, when you're not so used to reacting to life. You were proactive in the morning that fueled you throughout your day. So by 8 p.m., maybe you're just tired and want to go to bed. Or you're going to just be in a better place mentally if you have that time for yourself. Totally. And and then you go to bed looking forward to that morning. You know, like I, I always go to bed looking forward to the morning. Like I'm like, oh, I can't, I'm such a morning person anyway. But yeah, getting, getting up before your kids, I think is like the biggest mom hack. Absolutely. And if you take anything away from this podcast, 
use the morning. It's, it's instead of being reactive and having your kids wake you up, have you already be awake and ready for your day? You know, hair, hair. I mean, if you do your hair or do makeup, whatever, be ready. And so when they get up, you're like, okay, now I poured into me. I took care of myself. So now I'm better able to take care of you because if I feel good, then that rubs off on my kids. And setting that example, I think, is one of the most important things because they're always watching us. They're always watching how we show up, how we react, if we sleep in, if we get up, if we're working out. We don't have to say anything. It's really through our actions that they're picking up of what we're doing and what, what does mom need and how can I better set a boundary to take care of myself, but set myself up for success early in the morning. Totally. And I think I I was reminded of this when, so I was putting my two-year-old, almost three-year-old to bed last week one night, and he started singing our bedtime songs that I have sung with all of my kids, but this was the first time that he sang with me. You know, I, I and I just was soaking up every single second. I had a tear come down. I was just fully present. And I was thought then later, I was like, oh, I think that if I had been racing through to get to that glass of wine, I just would not have. Now that's a memory that is just forever ingrained in me. And I, it's one of my favorite moments of life was hearing his little voice say those words that I didn't know he knew. You know, and so I, I think I would have raced through that, not even knowing to kind of put it all, you know, just get them to bed so I can have a glass of wine. It's like, I'm just so glad that that's, that wasn't the case. I was just fully there. And that's all we have to be. Being sober, that's enough. You don't have to be the perfect mom, the Pinterest mom, go join the PTA or whatever. You just have to be there. And now you have an ingrained memory that you're going to cherish the rest of your life. Yeah. And then I can tell him, you know, when he's old and taller than me and a big man. And I can say, you know, when I held you and I think as moms, we are the memory keepers of our families, you know, like dads rock and they have their spot too. But I think there's something about a mom that we're going to remember the things that obviously the kids aren't going to remember and the dads aren't either there for, they're not going to remember because that's just not how they roll. Because we keep everything organized. My son actually sleepwalked last night. <laughs> so I, he's never done that before. So I was like, I was like, hey, bud, what's going on? Oh, my God. I'm like, I was like, hey, buddy, what are you doing? And he took all the sheets off of his bed. He's like, oh, I'm just putting stuff away. And he's trying to hang the sheets up on the towel rack. I'm like, oh, I mean, my God, that's scary. But I'm like, okay, let's just go back to bed. And then oh yeah, he went back to bed cuddle him up. And he, we had mentioned that this morning, he's like, what? I'm like, but that's a memory that I get to, I mean, if I just actually think about just thinking about this in real time, if I was drinking, I would have been passed out. Like what if, oh my, I'm just thinking about this in real time, where he would have been, what he would have been doing, where he would have ended up if he would have went out the door. Oh man. See, it's like those things where you can just be there for your kids. And, and I just had a, clients as well as another client, you know, one, once kids broke his arm, another got a, it was in a serious accident, but I'm like, you were able to be there. You were able to drive to the hospital. You were able to take them. Like that is what sobriety delivers and, and not having to be like, oh no, I can't go because I've, I've had three glasses of wine or a bottle of wine or something like that. I was able to take my son or take care of my son when they're sick. Yeah. 
no matter the time of day. Like it doesn't matter whenever. Yeah. Doesn't matter. You call me whatever. And, and I'm so happy that if they choose to drink it later in life, that I'll be there to pick them up. And I, we don't have to say anything. They can just see us and they'll always know their mom's always going to be there. And maybe they'll start asking questions. Well, why don't you drink or whatnot? It can start a conversation. My son just asked, I had a sober mom shirt on before or something or sober is cool. He's like, well, what's, what does sober mean? I said, oh, it's someone who doesn't drink alcohol. He's like, oh, oh, okay. So I know dad has a beer sometimes. I'm like, yep, that's alcohol. Yep. And I didn't say anything. You're not saying anything. He's just like, oh, okay. So it's that someone who doesn't drink that stuff. Yeah. And so that that's interesting because I do have on my list, this is probably one of the questions I get asked most often is about my husband and how my not drinking has affected our marriage if he still drinks. And so if you're comfortable talking about it, does so your husband still drinks a little bit? Yeah, he he does not get drunk around me. He drinks, I, I heard on your podcast too, he drinks like one a week, maybe three, maybe three, like just one though, because he likes the taste. And I know when in early sobriety, when I was really struggling, he didn't drink around me. He did not drink. He went alcohol free as well. And he had no problem with it. He, I remember he was going to go to a concert. He's like, I'll just drink Dr. Pepper. That doesn't make you uncomfortable. He's like, no, I'm like that. We are so different. Like I, I, I couldn't even fathom going to a concert without drinking. So yeah, he does have, you know, once he does have like a, and he keeps it out in the garage and he usually just drinks it outside or something. Sometimes he'll bring it in, but I would like to know you too. Like what about yours? So mine still drinks, he golfs. So generally he'll have a beer or two when he golfs because like yours, he likes the taste. It's like an Amstel light, you know, he's a big guy. So he's like, no, it's just the, you know, a beer, a cold beer on a hot summer day on the golf course. Like I totally understand that. We, we, it was important for me to set boundaries about what I'm comfortable with. And that for me is two beers. If he's coming home, which he always is. So, you know, no more than two beers, really, because it feels like anytime it's like three or anything, then we're just on a different level. I can't connect. It feels scary to me because of how I grew up. Um, my dad drank. And so I, I'm very... I'm very aware when someone's drinking, how much they've had, how they're acting differently. I think kids are very vigilant like that. Like if your parent is acting even just a little bit strange or like not how they would normally act, kids know it. They they can feel that and that feels scary. And so I kind of then still carry that in me. And he's, you know, he's a wonderful partner and, a, and has, has totally agreed to that. And he's like, that's fine. I don't he doesn't want to get drunk. He doesn't, you know, he he's had his past with that too. So yeah, I think my biggest tip is always just set set your boundaries and what feels comfortable to you if your partner does still drink. Absolutely. And I, I feel like you, for me, we had to learn how to date again. I'm not sure if you guys did too, because that's what we did. That's who we, when we hung out, when we went out, it was with friends. Granted, we didn't have kids before I got sober. So we, I felt really alone because I didn't want to go out because there was drinking. And when we did, I'm like, well, what is there to do now? And I'm like, I'm just boring. <laughs> what do we do? Are we even going to connect anymore? Because I, we met at a beer drinking event. 
I mean, we were both drunk. I cheated on my boyfriend at the time with him. So how was this going to be? And so my advice is just play it out. And if you can, if your husband or your partner is supportive, hopefully they are. And set, you said, set those boundaries. If you don't like alcohol in the house, ask for that. Say, hey, I'm really triggered and I'm really trying to do my best here. I'm really, this is really hard for me. Can we keep alcohol out of the house for a while until I feel more comfortable? Then you see what they say. And it's all about the action that you take in response to how they receive that and how, what they do based on your boundary. But also you can, I set, I also put in some alcohol-free date ideas. I'm someone, I don't like to go out past seven because I'm, I'm tired. My brain shuts down at eight and it's just like, so I'm like, what if we switch that to the morning or a day date or did something together? What if we learned a new hobby or we took a class together or just something where it can be active and just things like that is to just get creative and and see what you really like. Or one idea was like do a date jar or something. I really like to even do bingo, like really simple things. Yeah, that's so cute. I love that. And then you can kind of connect on, I mean, that was that's the whole trick of alcohol, right? Is the idea that alcohol helps you connect and it just does not. And so I connect so much more with my husband now that that we're not loopy or buzzed or drunk. Like now we can actually connect. And I feel like because of what we went through and what you've been through, it's only made us stronger. Being a good influence, like I have found that the less I drink, the less my husband wants to drink because he sees that I could still have fun. I am still fun without alcohol. I'm probably more fun without alcohol that I feel better, I look better, my skin's better. Everything has improved without alcohol. And so then just kind of naturally, he's like, wait a second, this is, I think you're onto something here. Yeah, and if you want to change someone else, change yourself because you have no idea how that's going to inspire someone. And also when my husband, I think he's like, he's going to a draft, all these football drafts are coming up. He loves them. It's like his outlet. So I'm like, go have fun, be a man and do your teams and whatnot. So I know if he's going to do that, I'm like, just stay there. Just stay overnight. I don't even want you driving. No, you just stay over there. I don't even want you coming home, but you have fun. I want him to go live his life. I don't need to control. I need to just tell him what to do. Go have fun. I know it's what you like to do, but don't come home. But I expect you to come home for the kids at, you know, 8 a.m. And that's your own fault if you feel like crap. But I think setting that boundary, and I also had some women in my group say, if their husband was going to go golfing and coming home and they knew he was going to be drinking, to, to set that boundary and say, hey, when you come home, I'm going to set up a bed on the couch so you can go sleep there. And it just, you're also being proactive about your relationship of not festering that resentment when he does come home and like wake you up and be like, oh, I love you. Just wanted to say goodnight. No, you just sleep in the couch. I'm going to do that. I'm going to create that safe place. You do you, but I'm going to be working on me. I cannot change you. Like that's something, I mean, really focusing on what can I control? What can I control? I can't control other people. I can't control the weather. I can't control the past, but I can control how I show up and what I choose to allow into my home, what I choose to allow my kids to see. And if anything, use that as motivation to take so much better care of yourself and know that you are, but just by taking care of yourself, you are being an example for your kids, to your husband, to everybody. By just taking such good care of yourself. We just did 
I wonder if I could find the quote because I always tell the women to be a lighthouse. It says, create an example for the people that come behind us, be the lighthouse and light the way for others. And that's what I tell the women in my group. You don't have to tell people, you don't have to wish someone to change or shout sobriety from the rooftops unless you'd like to. You just need to shine a light, shine your light. And it's so cool to see women get their spark back and to go from crying in the beginning to like laughing full on, so happy. You see the light comes on again and they're back, but not only back, but now they're so much stronger because of what they've been through. Yes. I love that so much. So tell me about your women's group. Is this Living Zero Proof? Yeah. You know what? Actually, I'm going to be changing the name to Lighthouse Sobriety here in the next few weeks. It really embodies what I hope to instill in others is to own this and be the light for others. And we more on being the light for yourself to stand tall, to stand sturdy and to own it. And you have no idea who that's going to inspire. So yes, I do private coaching. And then I also do sober coach or group coaching. So I'm just wrapping up my 12 week course on Sunday, which is crazy. And when I say it's just there's no better thing or experience than seeing someone change before your eyes. And just to see laughter and having sober fun. So I run these group coaching courses because when I was doing private coaching, I said, I want to do this in a community. I want to, I want to go through this as a group. I want to get together. I want to talk about it and go through the materials every single week. So every single week, there's a different topic. And I really focus on, so I've been to three inpatients, nine outpatients, I've had experience there. But what I didn't learn in treatment was really how to live sober. How, what do I say when I go out? Like, how do I set a boundary? Boundaries were not even discussed. I mean, they're huge in sobriety. What about a morning routine? What, how much is exercise important for our sobriety? It's huge. It helps rebuild the brain tissue. It helps to give you structure. It helps to boost your mood. All of these things that can help you early on. So I take them through, walk them through the early parts of sobriety, and then work on instilling some healthy habits of a week on, on boundaries, a week on having fun, how to have fun in sobriety the importance of stress management tools, how to release stress in a healthy way. So things that I would have wanted 10 years ago when I was struggling so much, and, and the only way was AA and treatment and really focusing on, you know, what our past was. It made me feel like there was, I was damaged and there was something wrong with me instead of being like, no, yes, it's my responsibility. I was in full control of consuming that drug. But also, I want to motivate women and make this a fun experience or something that they want to do, not something that they have to do, of really repainting and reframing the picture of what sobriety is and what it can do for you, of getting you back your time, giving you back your energy, really focusing on what do you want to do with this life? And now you have the time to actually fulfill it and to go after it because you don't have alcohol holding you back and creating this roadblock from who you are now to who you want to be. When you remove that, everything improves. Granted, you're going to have to deal. I also like to get honest. You're going to have to now deal with feelings and that's hard. And now you're going to have to deal with the things that you kept suppressed for so long now that's going to come up. A lot of shit's going to come up. But you don't have to drink over it. Right. And you can handle it because you're sober. You're, the fog is going to clear. Shit's going to come up. But you're going to be better able to manage it. 
And the only way to get through it is to go through it. You've got to go through this process and you've got to get through those really hard parts of early sobriety. But if you can mentally make that mind shift of how you view alcohol, everything's going to change. And I feel like, and I was talking to the women, that it's kind of like you're in the matrix. And that's how I feel is that you're in, you're on the outside looking in now. And the more and more I learn about it, the more and more I'm like, this is messed up. This is so much bigger than I think people realize. And that we're just going through the motions thinking that it's okay. But at the same time, everybody that consumes this and is using this is just stuck in this spiral. But if you can be like Neo and kind of get outside of that and look at it, look at the bigger picture of what big alcohol is doing and how they're kind of manipulating you and keeping you in this small box. It's like you have the million dollar secret. And so I like to kind of take them through that of let's get through this. Let's help you feel better. Let's, how do you get through, you know, 4 p.m., 5 p.m., the witching hour? What are some good things that you can do? So really step-by-step tools that they can implement on real life situations. So that's what I hope. And I have a 75 sober in October course coming out kind of based on 75 hard, which I've been really wanting to do. Not as intense as 75 hard, but yeah. What is 75 hard? What is that? Yeah. So it was a program created by Andy Frisella. Uh, If you don't follow him, he has a podcast called Real AF. He's very loud and he, he don't listen with the kids. He likes to swear, but he's really honest. And uh, he created this hard program. And I did it last year where it's two workouts a day, 45 minutes each. One has to be outside, a gallon of water each day, 10 pages of a self-help book. You take a progress picture each day. You follow, a, a, it says diet, but I like to say meal plan. And you don't drink alcohol. And so that's kind of the extreme. And you do it for 75 days straight. And if you mess up on even one of those things, you got to start over. So you could be on day 69, 74, and you're like, oh my God, I didn't hit my water goal. You got to start over. And so I'm like, well, why not start this in October during one of the coldest months of the year in Minnesota around the holidays? And I was like, there's never going to be a right time. And if anything, why not do it during the hardest time of the year? And I think it builds up, oh man, that resilience. And it's so beneficial because conditions are never going to be easy. It's about showing up and doing the work and pouring into yourself when conditions are ideal. Because if you can do that, then what else can I do? And I can tell you, it, it was hard at, in moments of like, God, when am I going to fit this, this in? It, you get really good at fitting this in, checking the weather. What do I wear? But I, there's no price tag that you can put on how great you feel by Christmas time. I was like, I feel amazing. It was one of the best Christmases of just, it really had me appreciate my walks outside, even in below 30 degrees. It gave me a break. It forced me to take that break and to stop and to just breathe and relax and release and enjoy nature. That sounds amazing. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And so this will be not as harsh as that. And if someone falls out you do not, we do not beat each other up. You just keep on going. So yeah, be on the lookout for that in October. I'm really excited. Okay. So I will link all of this stuff in the show notes I'll, so that it's easy to find in your, your women's group and everything like that. And then I'll be sure to link your Instagram. Is it at Jen Lee Hurst? Yes. Right. Okay. Anything else that you 
you want them to know? Any advice for someone newly sober? I guess, you know what? Keep labels out of it. You don't try to be like, am I an alcoholic? You know, do I have a problem? Just ask, you know what? What is alcohol doing for me? What benefit do I get? And is it something I want to continue? What am I using it for? And is there a better way? And also just understand that it's okay to feel uncomfortable. It's okay to feel sad. It's okay to feel anxious, to feel shy, to be an introvert, to feel nervous at a party. We don't have to fix our feelings. Our feelings won't kill us. It's only the action that we take based on those feelings. And I, I recommend rewatching, or if you haven't watched it yet, the movie Inside Out. It's all about feelings. Yeah, I think it's Pixar. And so everybody loves Joy. And Joy is like the one, she's so happy. And everyone's like, yeah, Amy Poehler. And then sadness. And, and people are like, oh, sadness. She's such a downer. And throughout the movie, spoiler alert, you realize that sadness, this Riley, the main character, had to feel sad. She needed sadness during this moment in time for her to be able to move on and to regain her structures in life. Sadness was just as important as joy, but we don't need to banish sadness or fix it or drink it away. We just need to feel that to cry and to release and move that emotion through us and know that this too shall pass. This feeling will pass and you'll get through it, but you don't need to numb yourself from experiencing a feeling. Yeah, I love that so much. Oh, well, I've loved this so much. You're like a breath of fresh air. I, I think I love the idea of lighthouse sobriety. I think to me, it's the opposite of stone cold sober, you know, which I, which just is so depressing to think about. And a lighthouse is just, just the perfect visual for sobriety. I, I love that so much. I only came to that in our group and, and I had heard it on a Ed Milet talk and I said, yeah, that's it. And that's what I hope to like owning this and shining it. And the more that we can encourage women to do that, I mean, just think of the impact and change that you're going to have in someone else's life. So, well, you are a lighthouse. You really are. I love what you're doing for the sober community. Thank you. And thank you so much for being here. Yes. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Sober Mom Life. If you loved it, please rate and review it wherever you listen. Five stars is amazing. Also, follow me on Instagram at The Sober Mom Life. Okay, I'll see you next week. I'm going to go reheat my coffee. Bye. Why are we doing an ad again? So that we can tell people about brand new information, a pop culture and political podcast. Say it in a way that doesn't sound like game show host. Okay. Do you want to be in a room of overeducated douchebags and feel comfortable? Brand new information is for you. What's it going to take to put you in this podcast today? We have brand new information on sale for free. Free. Wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah. We might not break the political and pop culture news of the week. But we put it right back together for you. That's right. Listen wherever you find your favorite podcasts. It's easy to blame ourselves for our struggles with alcohol. 
We see people around us being able to control their drinking without any consequences, yet no matter what we try, we can't seem to figure it out for ourselves. My name is Jillian Teets, and I am the host of the Sober Powered Podcast, where I use my biochemistry background to explain the latest research in addiction and help you understand both why you drink the way you do and how to develop the skills and mindset you need to find freedom from alcohol. I discuss topics like why we think about our drinking 24-7, why we have no off switch, and why we crave alcohol. If you're struggling with your drinking or you know someone who is, then I hope that you will check out the Sober Powered Podcast. New episodes every Friday. See you there.